Before we begin with the episode, I of course have to thank our daddy's favourite level patrons. That's William, Ocknerb, Banjo Stewie, Adam Brian C, Harry Hypnotist. You are all daddy's favourites. Now, on with the show. Hello, and welcome again to the Kinky Boys podcast. I'm Craig. And today we have a visible restraint joining us and we are talking about bondage. Now, this is funny because we're up to about 78 episodes and we have not covered basic bondage as its own episode. I was kind of shocked when I realized this. When thinking about people to have on, visible restraint was one of the first people that came to my mind. He's very successful at what he does. I've seen his work. It's brilliant. So yes, Welcome. Thank you. I feel welcomed. Wonderful. We like to be cozy and friendly here. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we start, if you could tell the listeners a bit about yourself, like who you are, what you do, what you're into. Yeah, my, my origin story is very deep. No, it's not that deep. I'm, yeah, I'm also called Daniel. I'm Daniel in the world. Mm-hmm. You can call me Daniel if you like. I have been doing kink play since I was... 17 and I'm almost 67 now. So we're almost looking at my 50 year anniversary of starting kink play. I have had a website that is primarily thought of as a rope bondage website since 1998. So we're looking at 25 years there. I've been doing bondage photography, however, much longer than that. Pre-digital bondage photography, even. I've been erotic hypnosis, began to eat my life, my erotic and personal life about five years ago. (laughs) And I've been studying everything I can about that. And a quick reference to my origin story in hypnosis, my mentor in hypnosis when I told them that I was interested in picking their brains and getting resources from them. They said, you know, I've known you for about 10 years and been watching you play and you've been doing it all this time, which was shocking to me at the time, but I understand what they mean now. Yeah. And I had been doing it all along. It is my play style tends to be on the hypnotic side, even without a formal induction. So I can get that. Like you, you naturally have a very sort of calming, melodic cadence to your voice. Mm. So I can see just being in a session with you, how that would happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and since my, even my rope bondage, which is usually pretty technique driven or often fairly technique driven. My rope bondage is, it's also pretty intimate. Right. It's it's an intimate activity and I I lean into that when I play. So anyhow. Oh, wonderful. So why don't we look into that a bit more? So when you say it's intimate, what do you mean by that? I mean it's it's important to me that I'm tying the person in front of me mm-hmm. rather than rather than tying to a template, rather than tying to a predetermined technique. So I, I, I'm, I'm careful to, to the person's body type, the person's personality, what they had for breakfast that morning, how well they slept last night, and how well we know each other all sort of gets poured into the cauldron. And that's what the bondage soup is made out of, is all of that stuff, rather than just the technique. So it's, it's a really intimate process for me in the sense that I really need to know a fair amount about the person before I start tying them up, before I'm interested in tying them up anyhow. Yeah. And, and I can very much like get that. So like, there's a lot of factors, like obviously there's the physical one of like tying up a guy who's slender versus tying up a bear means there's lots of different lines on the body you follow it. really does affect the way you tie but also different people like different styles of bondage i know some people like the very sort of methodic artistic like complex intricate knot work and some people just like to like be roughly tied simply and feel more the restraint or the quick energy of it different people like different things right 
Right. And I wouldn't be doing my job as a dom if I didn't acknowledge oh. that, if I didn't find out what they were after in the bondage before we started the bondage. Similarly to doing a pre-talk with hypnosis, you want to know what the person, what the person's goals are. That's really important. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh yeah. So for you as a dom, what, what, what sort of interests you about bondage? Hmm. We're using bondage in play. So my favorite kinds of bondage are what you just talked about. The fast, I tend to work really quickly anyhow, but I, I love really fast sort of what they sometimes call takedown bondage where I'm basically just getting control of my, my partner and mm -hmm. getting them immobilized quickly. I have enough practice. My practice is deep enough that I have the toolbox to be able to do that and understand that once I have them in bondage control, I'm still able to create bondage that makes that, that, shows them off, right? Because that's, that's one of my ultimate goals. Mm -hmm. Yes. I want them immobilized. Yes. I want them to feel in control. I want them to feel controlled by me, right? Cause that's sexy to the, to most sub submissive. They want to have something to submit to, right? So I want to yeah. give them something exciting to submit to, but I also, it's important to me that I, I'm, I'm really into showing off my partner. And that's a lot of where the photography and videography come from. Yeah, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if you know, but I don't, I don't actually monetize any of my kinks other than my, when I travel to do workshops, I accept reimbursement for that because I have travel expenses. But most of the time I don't actually monetize any of my kinks. I certainly don't monetize any of my porn and there's a lot of my porn out there. So, Yeah. Cause on your website, you've got a blog and the stuff you post is absolutely amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, and it's important to me to mention that I don't monetize it just mm -hmm. because I want to make it clear what my purpose is. I, I have nothing against professional people who, who do monetize mm -hmm. their sex work, their porn, their whatever. Right. And I do consider myself a sex worker, even though a lot of what I do isn't, isn't monetized. Yeah. But I want to, I want to emphasize that just because I like to make it clear to people that the reason I'm doing it is because I love it. Right. And I really enjoy the person, the people that I'm, I'm playing with. And I want to show them off and I want to show them off in the best way possible. So, yeah. So the, the way, the, the way that they're tied. Yes, it, it, it is fast and it's, it's, it's me taking control. It's me sometimes being very, very rough with them, which I also enjoy. I am sadistic, but it's also me wanting them to look beautiful by the end of it. So, you know, and challenged, physically challenged. My bondage is not for people who don't want to be physically challenged. It's, it, it can be rough. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and for a lot of like, I know subs who are into bondage, like being put into a straining position or having to work against the ropes is a big part of the appeal. Right, 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 right. It's that combination of working against the rope and working against mm -hmm. different parts of their body, you know, creating predicament bondage that, that if you move your leg, you're tugging on your testicles, or if you mm -hmm. move your head, you're, 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 you know, pulling your arms in an uncomfortable situation. There's all kinds of ways to make the body work against itself in a way that's, that's sexy and pretty and hot. Yeah. So would you say your bondage session, how long does like, how, let me phrase that. How long do you tend to keep boys in at least one bondage position? Oh, I have a really short attention span. Mm -hmm. So I have a tendency to move, move through a lot of ties. I, I go through a lot of ties and I'll even, I'll even a common thing for me, for instance, is to put somebody in a really challenging physical tie that, that makes them do a stretch in a particular way in a very deep fashion, right. Mm -hmm. In a very challenging, deep fashion. And then I might back it off or change it or, or, you know, but not completely release them. Just, just move that segment of the bondage so that they're, they're being stressed in a different way, or maybe some of the relief, some of the stress is relieved a little bit, but that's sort of a, 
I love that kind of thing where I'm able to use one basic tie and, and sort of transform it. Uh, that, that's very interesting to me because often I get the impression the idea most people have is a bondage scene is sort of a singular sort of tie where the top will tie the sub up in one singular way and that's it like they are in the bondage position for the whole of the scene so to hear you talk about how you alter it over time and change it over time to keep the scene going without sort of the sub being constantly strained in one singular way Mm. that i find that very interesting yeah well i mean there's a couple things at work there one is that i work very quickly i as i said i have a fairly short attention span it's that's (laughs) it's only partly a joke but it is i i want to see lots of things i want to see the person going through lots of things, but because I don't feel like I have a great deal of emotional or prideful or time investment involved in my bondage in any one given tie, I don't have that much attachment to it. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm going to move directly into the next thing. Right. And I don't have any, I don't have any regrets about that because I mean, there's a decent chance we caught it on video, but it, but there's also, there's also just the fact that it's time for the next thing. You just move to the next thing. And the the next thing is going to be just as fun. I have enough confidence in my abilities and in the people I play with to know that the next thing is going to be as good as the last thing was. Right. So I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel, obligated to hold on to this thing I worked on because I didn't work that hard on it and I didn't work for that long on it. Right. And it's something that, that comes naturally to me. And I want to say that that's, that's just a matter of practice. Anybody can get there. Anybody can get there. Right. I teach a really, I teach a one-on-one level class and that's the only level I teach at. And I teach that class. My whole idea, my whole point of teaching that class is, is to reduce the barrier to entry in terms of rope bondage, the rope bondage, a lot of people see Kimbaku flavored bondage, which is gorgeous, but tends to be technically pretty demanding. Even some quote, Western styles of bondage and all of those terms are, they're almost meaningless actually yeah. at this point, but all of the different kinds of very sort of technical bondage that sort of depends on a level of virtuosity has the fact that we see so much of that in porn, even amateur porn, everybody's taken a class, right? Not everybody or else I wouldn't be teaching these classes, but it's made it so that people feel like they have to present that to their, to, to their submissives out the gate, right? And you don't have to. That's, that, that isn't the barrier to entry for rope bondage is actually quite low, right? You don't even have to know knots, right? You yeah. just need you just need to have a piece of rope and a willing partner and an excited partner and have some enthusiasm for doing it yourself and you've got it right so yeah. this is about this is about bringing it down to that level where people can be creative with bondage without feeling like they have to answer to some historical legacy of bondage because that's not the point yeah like a lot of riggers like to put on airs I don't think that's a controversial statement where people like to talk about their lineages of learning bondage and, you know, their styles and it's all about, and there's a lot of competition. So I used to also be part of a troupe that taught bondage as well as other BDSM things in 101 classes. Right. And would get people messaging like the group page out of the blue saying, this is my tie. Can you compete with that? Why are you calling yourself educators? And, you know, like there is in sort of rigor communities that sort of competitive putting on airs sort of feel sometimes. And it's, it's nonsense. I mean, I, I have very little ego attached to any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. Which actually, you know, the the problem with people who invest a lot of ego in their bondage, the problem with that is that in my experience as a dungeon monitor of over what <laughs> 40 some odd years of experience, right? The ones who have a lot of ego invested in what they're doing are the ones who 
develop a sort of complacency. And even if they have high skill levels, right, they're the ones who are going to be dropping their subs, right? They're on on their butts, right? Because they have a high level of complacency, right? And they think they've got, they think they've got their skills on lock, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you always tie to the person who's in front of you, rather than tie to a technique, tie to a standard of technique, if you always, if you always take into account the person in front of you, then you're going to tie with less complacency and you're going to tie with more mindfulness and more awareness. It just makes sense to me. Yeah. It, like I know for other people, like being tied up and made into this beautiful piece of art is in itself the attempt, like what they get off on it. But for me, when I've been subbing, it's been like the back and forth of energy is what's important. Yeah. And like most scenes, it, if the rigor is not present and actually working with me as a person rather than just a stat like a stand for their ropes to go around right yeah it it, it gets boring right right i mean i'm really clear with people that i tie up that and with other riggers too and in my workshops i don't if my photography brings attention if my photography or videos bring attention to the rope rather than the person in the rope then i failed yeah. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Right? If what you're looking at is the is the beautiful rope work, I don't give a crap about what the rope looks like. If you really look at my work, you'll notice I I because I work quickly because mm-hmm. I'm about creating safe effects for my for, for my submissives, my rope work, my actual my actual knots can be sloppy but safe right? Because I'm working fast because I'm getting through it. Right. And and because we both want to have fun at the end of the day, rather than, rather than worrying about worrying about everything laying perfectly. And, you know, also fortunately I have a lot of subjects who really listen to their bodies. I'm working on a, uh, I have, I posted a while back, a, a thing on FetLife that's on my website right now that, that talks about things that I like to see in submissives. And I'm starting to work on one for more advanced rope submissives and particularly suspension submissives. And the number one and two things I won't, I won't actually label which ones is, is the top are somebody who really listens to their body to somebody who knows their body and is able to communicate what they're hearing from their body. That's, that's beyond crucial right? That's, that's exactly what I need. I need that much more than I need somebody who's driven by the next good boy that they receive. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, 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 I would rather somebody be a little less submissive and a little more aware of their bodies. Right. The other thing that's really important, I think for most, for most rope tops is to have the biggest gift a submissive can give their, their rope dom is, a safe space to to safely fail, mm-hmm. right? To safely do R and D, right? To make and that and that that requires a collaborative spirit between dom and submissive that I think is missing a lot in the rope community, particularly in the community of of rope performers. And I, I although I will say that a lot of the rope performers, a lot of the really big name rope performers. Mm-hmm are amazing. They're great. Yeah. And, and they, and they basically, they may have, they may, have, <laughs> they may be a little less laissez faire about, about, about their, the way their rope looks, but they, they are, they are great doms. You know what I mean? So I, I don't, I don't mean to cast aspersions to say that there's a, an epidemic of problematic doms out there. There isn't, but, but occasionally you will bump into these doms that are really, 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 really driven to be virtuosos before they're driven to be great partners, which I think is a shame. Yeah. 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 And some of those things that often comes with experience. I mean, we live in a day and age that's very sort of, I don't want to say visually driven, but essentially like, especially with social media, there's like the drive to sort of live up to this so, sort of social media facade we all sort of push to present. Right. And that right. and that can but, lead to a lot of things like presenting your bondage skills rather than a good session. 
Right. Right, right, right. Absolutely. I've started to include more and more of my actual process in my porn because it occurred to me that that the kind of submissives I want actually are submissives who, even though my practice may, the process may be abbreviated, it may be shorter. It's also, I need submissives who are, who have a, a tolerance for process because mm-hmm. rope bondage is process. Yeah. Right. It's process <laughs> as fuck. Right. So, so it's, <clears throat> it's, yeah, that's a, that's a feature that I also appreciate in a, in a rope sub is an ability to tolerate that. And so I've, I've started to include m- more and more of that also, also to, I don't know, I'm an old guy. It struck me as it's an opportunity for me to model what I consider mm. well, my behavior anyhow for, for robotics, yeah. right. Whether or not mine is the best that I don't care, but it, what I, what I, I do think that I do think that my process represents a philosophy of play that I, I would love to see in other people as well. So and oh, I, I, do see, that's I, do see thing. I do see it in fact, but so, yeah. so, where did you begin with bondage? Like, I know a lot of people talk about like growing up and seeing bondage in like the Batman and Robin show and that sort of, or cowboy yeah. shows. Yeah. And like, did you have that sort of innate fascination with people being tied up or did that come later? I mean, so before Batman and Robin, I grew up in a fairly rural neighborhood outside of Seattle, Washington in the United States. And in that rural neighborhood, there were vacant lots and woods all around us. And it was, it was a newish development that was full of kids and they were, it was full of kids sort of my age and summer times and after school, it was kind of a Lord of the flies situation where we were, running wild through the neighborhood and through the Mm -hmm. woods. And we, there was a fair amount of good natured tribalism going on and you would get captured by the other side, whatever, you know what I mean? And you get tied up right badly, but you get tied up. Right. And you would tie people up and it was fun. It was super fun. So my first, my first, my first experiences of rope bondage weren't necessarily sexual although there was always a sort of for me there was an erotic overtone i already knew right but i didn't start doing adult bondage until i was 17 and i was in a i had fake id and snuck into a bathhouse and i was dressed and walking by to my room walking by this guy's room and he saw me and he was like so do you want to get tied up i'd like to tie you up would you like to get tied up and i was like that sounds like a fun thing to do (laughs) and so he tied me up and he tied me up with rope in i don't know if your you or your listeners are familiar with the bathhouse scene but it's not like there are a lot of hard points in a bathhouse room right they're basically closets right? With a foam rubber mattress and a sheet yeah. thrown over it, right? Also wood walls and yeah, the mattress. Also, yeah. yeah. There, there are no hard points. Hard points are a fantasy, right? Somehow. So he had me blindfolded or not blindfolded. He hadn't, I couldn't see. He basically had a sack over my head, mm-hmm. right? And he tied me up in such a way so that when I moved my head, I didn't see how he did it. I was fully dressed, except he had fished my testicles out of my pants and my cock, my cock and balls out of my pants. Otherwise, I was fully dressed. But he he worked it out somehow. So I was lying flat, horizontal, right, arms at my side, arms wrist tied to my legs. But the thing that is still outstanding to me is that somehow, in that position, he made it so that when I moved my head. I pulled on my balls. Oh, wow. And I still have no idea how he did it. (laughs) (laughs) My entire adult sex life has been a journey to find out how he did that. Because I, with no hard points, I have no idea how he did it. You know? But he was, and he worked very quickly, right? (laughs) And he got me off, he got me off the first time very quickly, right? 
And I had, you know, young and experienced. I thought we were done. We weren't done. I had a moment of panic. And then he set me at ease and he just moved into the next bondage thing. Right. And we played that evening. Right. And that was my first exposure to adult, adult rope bondage. And it was, you know, wow. it was great. It was really, really good. After that, I, I always had loved rope. I mean, I was a boy scout and, you know, first merit badge was knots, right? It was a little placard with different knots on it. I always loved rope and I started immediately, even though I was at that age, I was pretty dedicated to being a sub. I was already practicing on myself and, you know, I would do things like I would practice knots and, and different sort of trick ties. Like there's some handcuff knots and cat's paw and different sort of trick ties that you can do, right? That I would practice under the table mm-hmm. so I could see them right or under a pile of books on the bus so i couldn't see my hands do the work right yeah, and you get that um, muscle memory you get the muscle mem- memory right and and i started you know and then and then we're talking about the early 70s or the mid 70s at this point right that i i started really pursuing it and and there was no internet obviously there was no i'm pretty sure that the leatherman's journal wasn't even a thing or the leatherman's wasn't even a thing at the time right all of these sort of mileposts that we think of in in kink cult, queer kink culture didn't exist right we had to find each other and i did i was lucky enough to find amazing people to guide me in my process and in my practice and practice, 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 practice. And then by the time I was about 23, I was, I'm not going to go into why or how, because that would take too long, but Mm -hmm. I was, I was, I mean, you can see me, I'm a, I'm in, in Imperial measurements. I'm six foot, six foot two. I was 170 ish pounds and I had a full beard at 23. Right. And I had been getting, I had been getting a fair amount of feedback that, Hey, you should start doming. And I did start doming. And pretty soon by the time I was 25, I wasn't subbing much at all. I've actually subsequently, I switched now, but so I have been for like the last 20 years Mm -hmm. I've been switching, but I I went through a period of say 25 years where I was exclusively doming. And I, it turns out, I know that there was a, there was a culture in the nineties of using and, and in the, in the eighties of using drummer and personal ads and drummer and bound and gagged and so on to find partners. I, I never found I needed to do that. We were, I was lucky enough though, to be in Seattle that had an actual leather bar. And if I would yeah. tell people I wanted to tie them up, well, y- you know what our culture is like, there's, there's 30 subs for every dom, right? And so, yeah. If 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 I was saying I was willing to tie them up, then they were, I was probably going to be able to get a date for that night. So so while I did have some mentors coming up, I also had some amazing submissives who were willing to allow themselves to be safely practiced upon, and that's that gets us almost current. You know, I will say that I will say that it, I just like everybody else in the age of the internet. I mean, I've, I've been watching other people come. It gives me an opportunity to see other people across the world and see what they're doing. And, and it informs what I'm doing. And it's lovely. Occasionally I will get called out by, by people who are doing amazing things in, in Holland or in England or in New York say, so this is something I saw visible restraint do like 20 years ago and I'm going to give it a shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and that's always super fun for me. Right. That's mm-hmm. always super fun for me, but yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and like, yeah, you, you have a wonderful reputation around you. Like so many people I know, like, cause you know, the leather scene is like a huge tiny village. Everyone kind of knows at least someone who knows someone. Yeah. And you have a really good reputation around you. Yeah, thank you. I've, yeah, I just want to, you know, I, we don't need to go into consent talk right now. But mm-hmm. one of the things when I talk, when I advise, when I mentor new doms, I mention to them, if nothing else, I hopefully, hopefully, the people who are out there learning to be dominance aren't you know, sociopaths and, and bad people, Mr. Intent anyhow. But even if they were at the very least, mind your goddamn reputation, right? 
also there's no jurisdiction on earth that 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 in which a sadistic is going to come out looking good legally yeah in some litigious litigious situation right because you can't you literally can't waive your right not to be assaulted yeah right like so not sure about the specifics of like us state law but i know in the uk it is very much like you cannot technically legally consent to a lot of bdsm activities that's absolutely true in the united states i don't know of a jurisdiction where that isn't true right we have organizations like the natural national national coalition for sexual freedom that has a lot of what do they call them professional witnesses but that's not the word for it but but people who are expert testimony who give yeah. extra who are who are qualified to give expert testimony in cases where people are losing their jobs or their children mm. or whatever, because it becomes known that they're kinky. Right. And that's still a thing that, that people are fighting, even though less so now, and, but it depends on the jurisdiction, obviously in the United States and the, in what we call red States, right. Where drag shows are being made illegal and so on. Yeah. Those people are going to have a much rougher time than they are in some place like Seattle, which is a sort of liberal bastion or, or or san francisco or new york right but yeah. still and, still and also, like, it's good it's good just to tell people not to be a dick yeah but to reinforce that right with if you're a dick there's a good chance you're going to get in trouble and if you don't get in trouble there's a good chance you're going to ruin your reputation yeah in the world of the internet it's very hard to it can be very hard for those people to hide who they are Right. People who are bad people. It's very hard for them to hide who they are. And I'm glad it makes me makes me happy, makes me feel safer about seeing people I love and 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 play with and care for. All of my relationships are open and I love to Mm -hmm. see them go out and play with other people. I feel and I've I've honestly come across relatively few you hear relatively few instances of actual harm being done to people and most of the time when harm is done to people it's through incompetence rather than sort of sinister intent right yeah so all of that is a relief but it doesn't mean we can stop being vigilant we need to be vigilant all the time yeah it it has become a thing i've noticed where people who are genuinely malicious are actually really really rare yes most of the time it comes from a place of incompetence or inconsideration, mm-hmm. which does not absolve Do people, but it is also like, it comes from a place of human flaw. Yeah. Do you want to hear a story? It's a, yeah, little, bit, sure. a little bit of a story. I love this story. So when I was 18, the drinking age in the United States is 21 or it, it wasn't then, but it was, it was, was that age in Washington state where I lived. I was 18 and I had sort of, I'd come out as gay and I was sort of wanting to experiment with kink in a more sort of aggressive way. And I knew that there was a leather bar in Seattle. There was a genuine old time leather bar that you heard terrible, scary things about, right? Really, you know, it was one of those places where you only went if you, absolutely had to yeah (laughs) (laughs) in other words it was hot right it was called johnny's handlebar and i one very hot summer i went and i dressed as slutty as i could i dressed in some very tight shorts and i painted on white t-shirt and 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 a pair of boots and i honest to god i stood outside johnny's handlebar waiting for somebody to come by and pick me up. And I didn't have to wait long. Somebody found, you know, mm-hmm. somebody. and I was lucky enough that it was somebody who, who knew the guy at the door and they just waved us in. And at that time, at that time it was, there was quite a few bars that allowed underage people in because they were, the cops were on the take in Seattle in the seventies. So yeah. everybody, the cops were being paid to stay out of these places, right? Which is one of the reasons why some of them had such weird reputations, including Johnny's. Anyhow, so he took me inside. He asked if I wanted a beer, and he went to the counter to get a beer, and I I sped off to the back to go to the bathroom. And when I got back there, there was a sub who was 
really beautiful muscle stud who was mm-hmm. chained by the neck to the urinal. And he wouldn't look at, wouldn't look at me, you know, wouldn't look at the, at, at me on the, in the eyes. And, and, and so I, and I, it kind of freaked me out, but also really turned me on. Mm-hmm. And I used the toilet instead because just terrified. Anyhow, I just wanted to set the scene of what this place is like. Yeah. And it was, it was packed. It was like, it was like 9 PM and it was already packed. I came back out. I got my beer from, from this guy and he was, he was like out of, central casting he was like three or four inches taller than me i'm six two so he was a giant man he mm-hmm. had a beard i only liked older guys and he was he was like in his late 30s and he was very handsome right and he had a very sort of smooth sort of sensuous style about him and so we we sort of got to know each other a little bit and then after about 10 minutes he asked me what my limits were well, I, I didn't know. I didn't even know what that, I'd never heard that word before, but I, I'm a pretty good context reader. So I figured out that he probably meant what don't I want him to do to mm-hmm. me. And I, I did a little search and the only thing I could think of was what I told him, which is I, I don't want to get fisted, which is, I mean, yeah. whatever. <clears throat> so I told him I didn't want to get fisted and he said, okay, cool. No fisting. Understood. Gotcha. And, and so he, after a little while, he asked me if I wanted to go home with him. And I said, yeah, I want to go home with you. And so he took me home and we played all night long. I'm an impact sub and he really let me have it. I was, I was a bruised, bloody mess and absolutely on top of the world. He fucked me on every conceivable position in his house. And we had, I mean, we had a great time. He had, we had a great, great time. He came, I don't know how many times there was some humiliation play involved. There was a lot of bondage, no rope bondage, but plenty of restraint bondage. And then as the sun was coming up, he had me strapped face down to the bed with a pillow under my butt. Right. And (laughs) he, he, started to lube up his hand so that I could see that he was lubing up. He made sure that I saw that he was lubing up his hand. And I immediately started to go into this sort of panic mode. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend recommend this by the way, but anyhow, so he's, he's lubing up his hand and I start, I start freaking out and I start talking my way out of this. Right. I start doing the thing where I'm saying, I we talked about this. I don't, I don't want to have your hand in my ass. And, and he didn't say anything. Right. And I, my conversation started getting my conversation, my pleas started getting more and more sort Mm -hmm. of frantic. Right. And he sort of, he sort of idly just sort of fingered my hole a little bit. And, and he leaned over to me and he said, so in this moment, what are you going to do? what are you going to do if I fist you? And I don't know. I, I started just sobbing, just crying really hard. And the words that come out of my mouth are still words that haunt me to this day. I said, I'm going to be very disappointed with you. (laughs) And, And he roared with laughter right? He had a towel handy. He wiped the lube off of his arm, right? And he said, I was never going to fist you, right? And he immediately untied me and he held me really hard, mm-hmm. right? I was never, ever going to fist you. I just, let's get that clear right now. That was never going to happen. Yeah. I just wanted to demonstrate to you because you're a kid and you've never done this before. If you ever go home with somebody that you just met who bought you a beer and let them tie you up, this is what's out there. And if I see you doing wow. it, I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, right? that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm here to tell you that that was a very powerful lesson mm-hmm. that I absolutely did not take on board. The number of men that I went home with after a beer or, mm-hmm. you know, 
and cruising in the park for God's sakes. Right. And allowed to tie me up and do terrible, terrible, wonderful things to me is amazing. I'm not saying that my origin story is a model or a template for anybody else, mm -hmm. but I will say that in my life, I have been extraordinarily lucky with BDSM and as a submissive or as a dominant, the worst thing that's ever happened to me is I've had a total waste of an evening. Right. I think, I think that we're right. You and I, when we say that the number of sinister people out there are small, I do get a lot. I do have a lot of anecdotal evidence and can tell stories and in my years mm -hmm. as a DM can tell you stories of tremendous harm being done by incompetent people. Yeah. Right. So that's the real danger. And that's the thing that I, I hope that when people take workshops from me that they take home, right. Is that, is that yes, by all means, go out and experiment, but make sure you're, you're experimenting safely. Learn as much as you can about rope bondage. Learn as much as you can about hypnosis, right? As a mm -hmm. submissive, right? Learn as much as you can about these things so you can fucking self-advocate because self-advocacy is, is incredibly important, right? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and no safe word in the world no safe word in the world is going to protect you from either incompetence or from a sinister person. Yeah. Cause I mean, I've been very lucky. I've always like done yeah. the thing of making sure, okay, it's someone I know well, like I'm one of these people that mostly plays with friends rather than right. hookups, but yeah. I've known people who aren't so lucky and they've had narrow escapes from people yes. who basically were not going to respect their limits. And right. yeah. Right. Yeah. No, they're out there. They're out there. Bad people are out there and incompetent people are out there. Mm -hmm. People who are willing to try things that they saw in porn, right? Because yeah. porn is a terrible place to learn things. I say that as a pornographer, but it's not a great, it's not a great place to do education. That's for sure. No, definitely not. Like, I mean, suspension is a big one. Like, if you watch these porn videos, it mm. it's always edited to make it look like these models are suspended for ages and just doing multiple forms of play. And it's like, you can't really do that in real life. Suspension right, right, has right. a built-in time limit. That's right. Well, and you don't... I mean, the thing about porn is that you don't see... You Generally speaking, you don't see any of the work. Mm -hmm. Right? In In... I mean, this is a badly kept secret in queer kink circles, mm -hmm. but kink.com, the, the bond, bound gods and, and men on the edge and, and so on. Those are hot videos, but generally speaking, not always, but often the people who are doming the scene aren't the people who did the rigging. No. Right. The people who did the rigging are people who do that professionally, right? They, they're people that, that everybody trusts to do it safely. And it's not the hunky guy with the whip that half the time they're wielding badly on, on camera, you know? Um, yeah. Porn is fantasy. It's not intended to be, it's not intended to be education, but a lot of people use it as, as education. I saw this on, I saw this on king.com. So I'm doing it. I saw this on, you know, <sighs> dream boys or whatever, right? Yeah. What, whatever the, whatever the porn is, right. We saw it there. And so of course it's safe. Well, no, not necessarily. And, no, and, and I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you from, the porn world that oftentimes what you see isn't what actually happened in terms of bondage. There's a way, there are ways to make bondage look like something it's not on camera. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, take care of each other, tie your partner. Don't tie some idealized thing. Yeah. Yeah. And cause we always like to go through like safety steps. Are there anything people, I mean, we've talked about this before with other guests where it's like, if you're tying someone up, look for pressure, like don't do on pressure points. Don't do on the joints. Don't do around the front of the neck. Like always check in with your partner's limbs. Cause you know, it can cut off blood. It can cause nerve damage. Are there any sort of other sort of safety tips? I think people should keep in mind. Mm. 
Yeah, let's talk about nerve versus circulation. Mm -hmm. Circulation presents usually presents with temperature changes and color changes. Mm -hmm. That's not dangerous in itself. The thing that's dangerous is nerve damage, right? Nerve issues don't present with color changes. They don't present with temperature mm -hmm. changes. They present only with numbness. And that's, that's something that needs to be taken into account by people. And that's why I need my subjects, my hypnosis creeping in, my submissives to be willing to talk to me about their experience and about what they're hearing from their bodies. Because if I don't hear that stuff, then I don't know. I can't know. Because the most insidious damage comes from nerve damage, which doesn't present with any symptoms other than num numbness. That's a serious, serious yeah. thing, right? The, without question, the most commonly used rope tie in suspension or any kind of bondage actually is called a box tie. It's the hot one that isolates the guy's pecs that puts his, puts his arms behind his back and forces his, his back to arch a little bit, right? It's a very sexy mm -hmm. tie. I do not deny that for a second in the wrong hands. And it's, I've known some very experienced riggers who've had problems with this in the wrong hands. There's a place, there's a place in the upper arm where the, and, and this is a podcast, so I'm reaching for my upper arm. Of course I am, but you can't see it, but there's a place on the upper arm where the radial nerve shallows, right? And it's very much exposed to, to, pressure, right? And you can, you can palpate for it. And it's typically in the same place for everybody where that happens, Yeah, but it isn't the same for everybody, right? The location isn't the same for everybody. And the result of a compressed radial nerve can be anything from handcuff them, which is such a common thing that they have a term for it, handcuff them. It's when your thumb is all numb and it comes mm -hmm. from the fact that your, your radial nerve where it shallows around your wrist is is particularly susceptible and it will isolate that thumb and make it completely numb, right? And that's called handcuff thumb. To some extent, they're built to cheap handcuffs will cause it accidentally. But if, if you use a pair of unlocked handcuffs, a handcuff thumb is almost inevitable, right? Because they unlocked handcuffs have a tendency to tighten yeah. under use, right? But so handcuff thumb is one is one outcome from radial nerve damage. But the other outcome is is wrist drop. How many people in the kink community type for a living? Right? I mean, knowing the, the amount of kinksters right. in IT, quite a few. Right. Yeah, yeah. So so the number of the number of highly qualified performance level bondage tops I've seen do what they call a TK or a box tie as part of their suspension and have it carry loads, right? And have that result wrist drop, temporary wrist drop. I've never known a case of wrist drop like that that was permanent, right, from a TK. Yeah. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened and it could happen, right? The fact that it didn't happen in the cases that I know about is kind of lucky, I guess, right, from what I've no, there's a there's a there's a doctor in Seattle, a neurologist in Seattle who does workshops on nerve stuff and for rigging, and he's really good. And I wish every town had a neurologist who could talk about <laughs> about nerve damage and rigging. But you know, we see these things, right? We see these things where people end up with with nerve damage as a result of bondage, and and I'm it's really important. I think that you warn i think it's important that that in your pre-talk with with your rope bunnies that that you have the conversation about nerve damage and about the potential for nerve damage and how it could impact their life because they need to know how important it is that you hear everything from them right and why it is that you check in so often yeah. right with how they're doing right with why it is that every time i untie somebody's hands or arms I have them give me a grip test with their hands, right? I put my hand in theirs and tell them to grip, crush my hand, please. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you notice any, do you notice any weakness in your hand? Right. That stuff, that stuff you got to do. Right? Oh yeah. That's, 
that's not optional. Other stuff, other safety stuff. I do a lot of frog ties. I do a lot of ties where the 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 the, the for instance the forearm the forearm is tied to the upper arm. Yeah. Right in a way that bends at the elbow, right? Or the same thing with the with the legs. Or I do a lot of ties where the hips hip flexors are, are spread wide, wide fucking open, right? Because that's hot. Who doesn't want yeah. to see that, right? So when I untie that, I ask my subs, don't let that pop. Don't let that don't don't spring out of that. I know it's gonna be, I know the tendency is to gonna want to straighten that arm as quickly as possible because you've gotten stiff, right? But you want elbows, knees, and hips when you're 50. So give yourself a three or four count as you gradually one, two, three, four. Straighten out your arm. One, two, three, four. Straighten out your leg, right? Let your hips come together slowly, right? Change your back, you know, straighten your back, you know, fix your posture slowly. All of those things, you know, untwist slowly. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't do these things in a jerky quick way because you want, you, you don't want to shock your, your joints. No. Right. So, so that's all really important. What else? What else? The neck thing. Ugh. So I don't know. Do we want to talk about this? It's really important that you not tie around the neck in such a way that the bondage self tightens. Mm-hmm. Um, across the front of the neck. That's what we mean when we talk about not tying, not tying the neck. We tie around the neck all the time, right? We shrimp ties, tying the neck to the neck yeah. to the ankles. We do that, right? That's just the thing we do. I tie collars around people all the time, right? Where the grab point is at the front of the neck. So you're pulling the mm-hmm. rope away from the front of the neck, right? I do that kind of thing all the time. And that stuff even feels good and it's perfectly safe. Right. But you got to be careful. Right. And you got to make sure that you got to make sure that you have your bonded shears out and so on. Right. And in case you need to get them out quickly. But it's not true that you can't tie around the neck. In fact, oftentimes you have to tie around the neck. It's another it's it's one of the columns, right? We talk about yeah. double column ties and single column ties. The neck is a column. Right. We tie to that. I sometimes will tie wrists to the neck. Right. And that becomes a sort of a little predicament thing. Right. But I'm watching my sub the whole time. Right. It's not like I'm getting up and leaving. Okay. That's another safety thing, by the way. Right. Before you leave the room, untie your submissive. That's that's Daniel's law. No, it's not a law, (laughs) but I wish it was a law. Right. If you're going to leave the room, then why do you have them tied up? Right. What's the point? I understand that storage bondage is sexy. But if you're going to do storage bondage at all, do it in gear. Don't do it in rope. Actually. Yeah. Right. You know, do it in sleep sacks and straight jackets. Right. Do it in boxes. Right. In a kennel, something like that. Don't do storage bondage with rope. I just, I just don't. Yeah. I just don't understand it. Right. There, there, are, there are items and tools made specifically for that. Or, for that, yes. And it's hot. Don't get me wrong. It's completely hot, right? Or do it with hypnosis. Yes. And that, that <laughs> so we've, I think we've covered everything we need to do with bondage. So you're also very accomplished and have a very good reputation in the hypno community. And Thank so you. I was wondering to ask you, have you ever mixed the two? Yeah, I do it quite a lot, actually. I do it in a number of ways. My And I started off, actually, it's... It, Oddly, it didn't even occur to me when I first, because like I say, I've only been doing this for like five years, a rope meetup group that a discussion and practice group that I now facilitate, but that I used to go to broached the subject to me and asked if I wanted to present on the subject of, of rope-based inductions. And I had, I kind of scratched my head and had to think about that for the minute, but then obviously kinesthetic inductions, meaning feeling inductions, touch inductions, motion inductions, right? Those kinds of things. Those all can include rope in a really nice way. My favorite one, the easiest one is just this. Imagine your hands, your wrists are bound together and placed at your sternum so that your wrists are like prayerful. Your hands are like prayerful, right? But right there at your sternum, you 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 don't need much wrapping to do that, right? One, mm-hmm. one loop around the wrist can do that, right? And then... 
and then tie around the shoulders, right? And then tie under the arms, right? I can do that with anybody with a 30 foot piece of rope, right? And then I put one hand on their, on their bound together hands, one of my hands on, on their hands, and then the other one on the back of the neck. And I sit just slightly above them to encourage eye strain. And I rock them slowly back and forth, slowly back and forth so that the field of the field of focus is changing. Right. And it also encourages eye strain and the rapidity at which people drop mm -hmm. from this is stunning. And if they're rope bondage people, the, the, the sensation of the rope hug from this particular harness, which by the way, if you go to my website, you can see my boy status is, I, I have a, I have a video of my boy status mm -hmm. in this, in this harness. And I also have a video of the very first time within half an hour of meeting Christopher Weston in San Francisco at, for an event that we were both yeah. going to be performing at within half an hour of our meeting. I had it. We were on stage and I was doing this with him. We had no preparation at all. He dropped like a rock in seconds. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's an amazing, amazing mm -hmm. hypnosis sub, but, but, but this particular thing, he hadn't been dropped that quickly before. And I don't say that to, to brag. Yeah. I just say that. But kinesthetic inductions can be incredibly powerful and fast, just super fast, right? And that's a fun one because it involves rope. But there's all kinds of things that you can do with rope along those lines. I also do, I have two people, three people that I've done a rope mantra with. Okay. So what's a mantra for the people who wouldn't? Mantras are very private things. I don't know if I should share. No, I will share. I've got it on video for God's sake. It's fine. <laughs> but the mantra I, I like, I like using is particularly if I've done some, some hypnotic work around those magic GB words, which I'm not going to say because they put some people in trance is if I've done that work, then a mantra that I can install on the fly and have my, my subject repeat with me. It's incredibly effective. It is the tighter the rope, the better the boy, the tighter the rope, the better the boy. It is magical what that does. And it, 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 the nice thing about mantra is you guys have done plenty of hypnosis stuff. Oh, yeah. before, so I'm going to dwell on it, but, I, but I will say that the nice thing about mantras is that they, they not only give the brain, the conscious something to chew on and to keep the conscious busy while you're actually communicating important stuff to the unconscious, right? They not only have that effect, which is an effect that we know from, from its roots in meditation as well, right? Not only does it do that, but it also, it also is a delivery device, right? I can inject information, brainwashy information mm -hmm. by using the mantra, right? So I, I have a number of mantras for different things, but this is one that is specific to my style of bondage, right? Which is usually very tight, safely tight, and usually safely very uncomfortable, right? And it's a way to allow the subject to make peace with that and make it sexy and make themselves mm -hmm. feel beautiful and make themselves feel very submissive, allow them to slide into their subspace in a way that is effective and, and consistent for both of us and just deepens the experience. Right. So that's a mantra I use. Something I did recently, my partner, my partner, Patrick, and I went to Charmed in, in Annapolis, which is, it's Charmed is a large erotic hypnosis conference one of the biggest in the country i think it is the biggest in the country but i could be wrong but he and i went and i brought a bunch of rope because i was doing a workshop on the intersection of rope and hypnosis which i'm teaching again soon actually anyhow where was it going with this oh oh so i brought a bunch of rope and i dumped it all i use a lot of different colors of rope i use mm -hmm. posh rope now which is a rope made in I think the Netherlands Langford rope, I think is the name of the company. Okay. It is, it's a synthetic rope. It has a huge, great, a wonderful breaking point for people who are interested in doing suspension harnesses, but it's synthetic and it comes in many colors and it's twisted, right? 
and it's very soft. It feels very much like natural fiber rope, but mm-hmm. it's synthetic. I love it. I love it. I can't say enough about it. Twisted rope versus braided rope, by the way, for those listening in at home, twisted rope is toothier. And so it holds knots better. It, you need to do fewer knots because the rope tends to grab onto itself yeah. in a much easier way. So twisted rope, better for any place that touches the human body, just because you don't need to use as many knots. <clears throat> Excuse me. So anyhow, a big pile, a giant pile of uh, nine different colors of rope on I threw on the bed. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's significant because I also do some color wheel work with hypnosis. So different colors mean different things. They have different effects. And I told my partner, Patrick, to go pick out a piece of rope. Mm-hmm. And picked out a piece of rope and we marked it for him specially. Right. So we'd always know which piece of rope was his. And he actually has taken it home and so on. And that was Wednesday. By Friday, when we taught the workshop, he was already the work I'd done with him, he was sleeping with it. I was using it to play with his cock and balls mm-hmm. across his butthole, doing things that were very intimate with this rope and got him really attached to it and started attaching a lot of hypnotic significance to that piece of rope. I would do trans narratives to reinforce that. Right. By Friday, he was already showing strong, strong, strong preference for that piece of rope by the, by we, we did a rope hypnosis social that Friday night by Friday night. I took the, I took his rope out of his hand, his piece of rope out of his hand and set it next to us and started tying him with other rope. Right. And he couldn't keep his eyes off of his piece of rope next to us. Right. He was just, he was just fixated on it. Right. Saturday night, a couple that we went there with were in our room and we were saying our goodbyes because we were leaving. We were all leaving early the next morning. Patrick was holding on to his piece of rope as he was doing pretty much the whole conference. And it was gorgeous by this point, right? Saturday, he was holding his piece of rope and the dom in the other couple, not rudely, but but relieved Patrick of his rope, took Patrick's rope mm-hmm. out of his hand. He uncoiled it and started looking at it and was admiring it. And Patrick was looking at his rope more and more longingly and was like, like low key yeah. reaching for his piece of rope to take it back out of this guy's hands. Right. Cause he was like, mm-hmm. he was, and we did that in four days. Right. That sounds very um, intense. Yeah. It was really intense. And, 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 and so when he did come that weekend, we used that rope, right? And it was incredibly powerful. It was beautiful, right? I have another boy status who is more local to me. And he and I have also done the rope thing. And in addition to what Patrick and I did, we added status uses his piece of rope as a cum rag. Wow. And I've done I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of hypnotic work mm-hmm. around the idea of in his hypnosis space, when he visualizes the rope, it's like dripping with his own cum. Right. I mean, there's so much you can do with metaphor. Yeah. Just, right. And you just make, making the rope itself. I mean, we are as partners, objects of, 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 erotic imagination for each other. Right. But, but bringing the rope as almost a third party to our relationship, Mm -hmm. really, really powerful. Another thing I recently discovered that I, I recently became really aware of, and I think it was at charmed when I was working with Patrick at the social actually was how in a hypnotic way. And cause I'm really prone to hypnosis trance myself to, a hypnotist trance myself. One of the most delicious elements of all of that that came out of that was the sense that the rope had become very much this sort of incredibly intimate living membrane mm-hmm. that connected Patrick and I. And the more rope I put on him, not more, but the the the, the more I applied rope to him and the more I played with him with rope, the sort of 
the sort of deeper our connection got as a result of this sort of sense of it being a, almost like a living tissue that connected us. Right. And that was a really interesting and very helpful metaphor as well in hypnosis. So, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. In terms of specifics, I'm a, I'm, I, I, I look forward to taking the intersection of rope and hypnosis on the road along with the other battery of workshops I'm teaching. So, Oh, well, I hope to see one of them because I mean, yeah. like it sounds fascinating. I mean, you know, I play with hypnosis a lot. I understand like building connections, building metaphors in the brain. Right. Like it's such a cool tool to sort of integrate. It is. Things. It is. And utilization. I mean, we're, we utilize everything, right? Mm -hmm. As, as hypnotists and a rope is just one more thing. And the fact that we already, those of us who are rope enthusiasts, we already have a special relationship to that particular material. It's yeah. just all the much better, right? Oh more, yeah. More powerful. I, when we're nothing, if not tropey, we hypnosis oh, we folk. love our tropes <laughs> we love our tropes so so i'm seeing we're coming up to time uh -huh. i mean i could sit here and listen to you for ages <laughs> like the stories have been brilliant you. been very knowledgeable and i really hope to have you on again sometime oh yeah absolutely i'd yeah. love that we can talk about anything thank you so i will yeah. link to your blog in the show notes because i think people Great. really should check it out thank you and yeah thank you for coming on Thank you very much. I've really enjoyed this. Me too. And as always, listeners. Oh, and safe. by the way, oh. but wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait okay, a second. Waiting. I got to. I got to shout you out a little bit. Oh really? People, people, people should belong to your fucking Patreon, man. <laughs> your Discord server is fire. It's really fun, and people should people should join your Patreon. Oh, they really should. Yeah. Like I do, I. Okay, I'll take a minute to be like I do put a lot of effort into making sure the Discord's a nice place. We have lovely chats, oh. games, like and just the people there are brilliant. It's funny, it's the least dramatic of any Discord server I know of. It's 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 a delightful place. It really is. Everybody's respectful and funny and 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 yeah. I couldn't ask yeah. for better better experience. So thank you for everything that you're doing for your community and for our community at large. Oh, thank you. That, you're welcome. That's made me feel really nice. Good. <laughs> oh. So yes. So yes. As as always, listeners, take care and play safe. <laughs>